Welcome back to the swamp my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and downright strange hiking and camping horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. Again, as always, if you have a story that you would like to share, be sure to submit yours at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. You can also submit them on reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. I'd love to share your story with everyone here. Anyways, be sure to hit that like button as it helps this video grow. Be sure to subscribe if you're new and turn on notifications as I upload new videos multiple times a week. And now, without further ado, let's get right into these creepy and downright strange hiking and camping horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. Not Your Typical Hike by Cave Hello Swamp Dweller, my name is Kyle. This is the story of how I lost my friend in the woods of Arizona when I was 12. Even after a search and rescue team searched for months, no one ever found anything. This story takes place 20 years ago, north of Payson. My friends Pete and Russell and I loved to camp during the summer break, and since our house was off into the woods, you didn't have to walk far off until you hit a pretty decent camping spot. One summer we decided to camp separately to see how we'd do. I wandered far off from our usual camping spots, farther from the woods and more towards the open areas and meadows. It was the farthest from home I had ever camped in this area. Pete decided to stick in one of the spots we usually camped. And Russell? I don't know where Russell went at the time. Luckily, we had radios to communicate in case anything went wrong. We all left at 10 in the morning. Pete radioed me around midday when he reached his spot. I called in sometime around 1pm. We began to worry when we hadn't heard from Russell yet. But the radio cackled and announced that he had found a spot pretty late in the day. I don't remember the exact time, but it was fairly late. We set up our tents, began fires, and spent the warm summer night under a blanket of stars. Everything was rather usual up until this point. But around midnight or so, I heard my radio make strange noises. It sounded like one of the guys was trying to talk to me, but the signal was absolutely terrible. I picked up my radio to see what was up. Freaking Russell, said Pete. It's not me, it's Pete. I couldn't hear what he was saying. Finally, Russell broke through and asked how we were doing. We said we are doing okay, but I asked why it took so long for him to find a spot. I'm far away, he said. I found this spot beyond those hills north of here. The only hills in the area were about a mile away, so Russell was very far out there. I thought it was weird. But Russell said the area was great, so we all went to sleep at around 1 or 2 in the morning. I awoke just before dawn to hear someone running past my camp. I thought it was Pete since he was the closest, so I unzipped my tent and looked around. The zipper got caught in the fabric several times, but I could see who was making the noise. T to my surprise, it was Russell. That was weird. I didn't see his face, only his back, but I could tell it was him by the clothing and the hair color. I called out to him, something like, Go back to bed, you idiot. Or something around that. 
But Russell didn't stop running. He didn't even turn to look. He just booked it across the meadow. I figured he went into the woods, but it was way too dark for me to see much of anything at this time of night. I thought he was pulling a prank on me or something. So I grabbed my flashlight and looked around the tree line. There was nothing. It was way too late in the night for him to be doing this. I was tired and probably he had his radio on him, I would assume. So I tried to contact him. Russell picked up. What the heck, man? I said. What? He responded. What do you want? Liar. I said. You're running around my camp. No, I'm not, dude. I'm still at my camp. Are you sure it's not Pete? No, it's you, man. I saw you. Stop playing games with me. Shut up and go to sleep. He said. He ended his call. I swore I saw him not once but three times that night. He wouldn't talk to me, face me, acknowledge me anytime I would yell at him. He'd just run right through camp. When dawn arrived and sunlight broke through the meadow, I contacted Pete, hoping he'd be up. Pete got no sleep that night on account of Russell as well. Pete told me Russell had run into his camp and called for him to look at something. I stopped Pete's story and told him I had head to his camp. I left my tent and everything else. I'd pick it up later. Back at Pete's camp, Pete told me that Russell said he needed help. Pete called into the woods to ask what he needed help with, but Russell would have to wait to answer. He would just repeat the first question. Pete got tired of the game and went back to sleep after some time. He called Russell shortly after but got no response. Russell denied ever being near either of the camps, explaining how long of a walk it would have taken him to get there. But the second time Russell was contacted, there was no response. We decided to find his camp and set this straight, so we headed towards the nearest hills. After about a mile walk, we snaked along the backside of the mountain and found footprints in the mud. We followed them quite some way, but lost them when the soil dried. After climbing a tree, we spotted a spot of red in the distance. Finally, we knew Russell's tent was red so we were hoping that had to be it. We went in that direction and hiked an extra mile until we reached his campsite. It was secluded in a clearing deep in the woods, surrounded by juvenile pine trees. But when we reached his tent, it was absolutely ransacked. The tent was ripped into shreds, his belongings were strewn about, his radio was thrown into the long gone campfire. There was trash everywhere. We searched for Russell for hours but couldn't find anything. We decided to hike back towards the hills to view the area better. It took us some time, but we finally got a better view. And that's when we saw him. Russell was standing on top of a hill not far from us. Relief flooded our senses as we ran towards him. We stopped abruptly. Something was not right. Pete put his arm out in front of me, blocking me from running any further. Hold on, hold on, he said. I need help explaining what was wrong. But Russell wasn't Russell. He resembled Russell very closely, but the way he moved and his facial expressions were just off. And I didn't realize how screwed up it was until we were only about 30 yards from him. His body shape was weird. It was like he had drawn more of his body towards his center, leaving his arms, legs, and everything else much skinnier. When we proceeded to walk towards him, Russell began to smile at us. The smile was abnormally large. It stretched ear to ear. The thing, or Russell, whatever this was, got on all fours and started running down the hill. 
losing Russell's form and shifting into something we couldn't even imagine existed. Skin stretched over the creature's bony body, its head elongated with a strange circular mouth, black beady eyes. As this thing ran down the hill, it was screaming in Russell's voice, but kind of robotic. To this day, I really don't know how to explain this experience to most people, so I just keep it to myself. If anyone in the comments has any idea what this could be, what we experienced, what we saw, what happened to our friend, please let us know in the comments. The Kentucky Holler Crawler by Tyler R. When I was nine or ten, my uncle told me a story that has stuck with me ever since. Growing up in Kentucky, I've always heard tales of, you know, Bigfoot or the Popelik Goatman, the usual run-of-the-mill urban legend, campfire story if you will. But the story of my uncle and this weird creature he allegedly ran into has always stood out from other tall tales I had heard. Kentucky is home to the world's most extensive cave system, Mammoth Cave. Since its founding in July 1st, 1941, only about 365 miles have been surveyed by the human eye. It's believed that over 600 miles of passageways and caverns are still yet to be discovered. The national park is stretched over three counties, spanning over 50,000 acres, Edmonton, Hart, and Barron counties. My uncle has owned land in Edmonton County since the early 1980s. I remember hearing about how and when they were out there hunting for deer. They would occasionally come across pits of various sizes in the ground. They were the mouths of cave entrances. They would usually just toss a barrel or a large tree branch over it so no one would stumble across it, fall in, and become trapped. According to most people besides wildlife or just getting lost in the woods, there wasn't much else you really had to worry about. This story takes place in the early 1990s, about five years after my uncle purchased the land. His closest neighbor, whose name is Ken, lived about a half a mile down the dirt road parallel to their properties. They naturally became good friends over time and occasionally would accompany each other when hunting. My uncle lived in Louisville, and would visit his property when he had days off or needed to do upkeep, like mowing or restocking his pond. So, unlike his neighbor Ken, he spent more than most of the year in Louisville. On this particular weekend, Ken went out hunting for deer. He left his cabin and headed off into the woods. He had done this a hundred, maybe even two hundred times before. He followed a path he had used plenty of times to a small grouping of trees overlooking a small meadow. He said it was a perfect sunny day, it was beautiful, it was fall, there was just no clouds in the sky, absolutely perfect for hunting. He sat in the shadows underneath some low-hanging tree branches, feeling hidden from what would be prey that might come by. Despite being the ideal weather for hunting, he didn't see much game just a few fawns and doe, not the big trophy buck he was hoping for. He had been entertaining the idea of grabbing his gear and returning to the cabin, but not wanting to go home empty-handed, he decided to stick around for just a bit longer, hoping his luck would change. 
His chest fluttered when he looked across the meadow to the left and saw movement in the tree line opposite him. He pulled his rifle to his shoulder and looked down at the scope. The thick trees and foliage at the end of the tree line prevented him from getting a good view at what animal was in his sight. From what he could tell, it was heading towards the edge of the woods and he just had to be patient. When it stepped out of the shadows of the trees about 50 yards away into the clearing, he almost immediately knew he wasn't looking at a deer. He tried to keep his hands from shaking, his rifle as he desperately tried to identify exactly what he was looking at. He described its body as a panther, but the upper torso were like the shoulders of like something different. He didn't really know how to explain it. He, he just said that they sat noticeably higher than its lower back and height legs. He was looking at its side profile, which he claimed, while in mid-stride, this thing would be close to at least seven feet in length. He said it was absolutely quiet, like a stalking cat. It never made a noise when it moved. The front legs, he said, were more like arms, significantly longer and skinnier than its hind legs. It had brittle, dark brown hair that started from the back of its head and ran down the length of its back. He also claimed that the creature's skin looked waxy, almost like a chimpanzee's dark brown or nearly black skin. Its face was long like a dog's, but he said he noticed no ears. He said the corners of its mouth ended by the neck, where the ears should be, it just sounded unsettling. The most weird and downright unsettling detail I can remember about this was that its back legs, he described them as being almost frog-like, as the back legs were tucked close to the creature's sides. When it walked, the leading leg would reach almost to the front of its body, and the other leg would stretch way back, flat like a frog when it crawled. He watched it for about two or three minutes, slowly and quietly moving through the long golden grass. When it walked, the leading leg would reach almost to the front of its body, and the other leg would stretch way back, flat like a frog when it crawled. He watched it for about two or three minutes, slowly and quietly moving through the long golden grass, a black shadow surrounded by color. He watched it disappear into the tree line directly across from the woods he had seen it come from initially. After a few moments, he left and headed back to his cabin in absolute disbelief. Now, I don't know how long it was after this initial incident occurred that Ken told my uncle about it, but he was reluctant to speak about it. He dubbed it the Kentucky Holler Crawler. Eventually, Ken thoroughly explained the story one night while sitting around the campfire with my uncle. Ever since then, Ken refused to go into the woods. He claimed to only hunt from the dirt road running through his property afterward. Both my uncle and Ken have sadly passed away since, but their story never changed over the years. I have even had my uncle retell it multiple times, and it's the exact same details every single time. The thing that keeps me up at night, though, isn't the thought of the creature. It's the thought of where it came from. Who's to say that thing didn't crawl up from the cave, spanning hundreds of miles in every direction? Let me start by giving some background. I'm a 25-year-old man. I love the outdoors. Anything to do with camping, swimming, ice skating, anything to do with the outdoors in general is my thing. While this story takes place in a snowy tundra back on the date of 11-13-2017 in the Colorado Rocky Mountains National Park, my friend Jay 
John, and Alyssa were going up there for a camping session, as we all have this in common now. I know, I heard the stories on this channel a million times of people going into the national parks and never returning, but this is something entirely different. We thought this was going to be a nice getaway, but it quickly turns into a hell I'll never forget. I'll always be thankful for the shotgun and the bullets I had gotten from my cousin. He makes Dragon Breath style type shells. For this will be important later. So, back to what we were doing. It was like any other day, traveling from Berks County, Pennsylvania, all the way up to the Rockies. As you can imagine, this was one hell of a three-day plan for us to get there. We would leave Friday and come home on a Sunday. Well, everything was good for most of the trip. You know how long rides go, staying in crappy motels and stopping and eating very sketchy gas station food. Anyways, we finally arrived at the Colorado Rocky Mountain National Forest on a day colder than most. We had the usual traveling stuff for this sort of thing, and we made sure to pack extra clothing. We wanted to make sure we were plenty warm for what Mother Nature presented us, because what she showed us that day was, to say the least, harsh climate weather. So, we began our trek into the mountains, and everything was going very well. Nothing crazy happened, except for the occasional breeze of wind until nighttime hit. We established a base camp at roughly 15 miles that day. Deep inside the Rockies, we got a fire going, and we're grilling some weenies and beans. Nothing wrong with that. Until I went to take a leak. I had this unbearable, unshakable feeling like we were not alone, and I could feel this before my foot touched the ground. I got bad vibrations instantly. The moment I was alone, I got major red flags. Me being me, I didn't want to spook my friends, so I didn't say anything, and just kept a lookout. Besides, my friends weren't really big into cryptids or ghosts or anything spooky like that, so I didn't want to really kill the vibe. As moving forward into the story seems this feeling I got went away, but at the same time, it still kind of stayed close. I zipped up my pants and went back to my friend who was already getting drunk and eating. Thankfully, Nothing else happened that night, so we ate and called it a night. Sometime around 2.37 a.m., I had awoken harshly in my sleep to this god-awful feeling of being watched. Like if you've ever stared at someone for so long as they joke, and they turn around and then suddenly you're there. Well, that's almost the way I felt, but in the tents were just Jay, Alyssa, who were a couple, and myself. So they slept on their own side, and I was on my own. I zipped up the flap and poked my head out of my tent slowly. I was looking around and I saw nothing. Everybody else was in their tents and honestly, it seemed that people were sleeping. I slowly crawled back into my sleeping bag and somehow, out of the grace of God, I managed to fall back to sleep. The next day we get up and nothing seems out of the ordinary. The sun is out, but it looked like it snowed a bit. Trying to be rational and thinking maybe I was just hearing things and we're in the mountains, it tends to snow a bit here and maybe I just heard that last night. As the day progresses though, I notice something my friends never did. It was absolutely silent all around us the entire time. And while I've been out in the woods near cougars and bears and know that when predators are around it goes quiet, this was something much different. John turns to me with a beer in his hand and somewhat getting wasted already, around noon, and he says, What's the problem, man? You seem like you've seen a monster or something. 
I've told them about my encounters in the past with things that I believed to be Dogman and stuff. And usually, they were more cool about it, but I'm assuming the alcohol kind of made them kind of jerks. Jay and Alyssa are more sensitive to this and don't patronize me for believing in such things, as they know there is no judgment for what others believe. That's what made us friends in the first place. Anyways, getting off topic, I tell him to shut up and tell him to stop being drunk. We stand in silence for a minute listening though, and eventually, he does admit that he doesn't hear anything. Alyssa breaks the ice and says, why is it so silent? I immediately tell her nothing, probably just your regular Colorado bobcat. Now, I know these things can get big, so I assure them not to worry. I brought a nice warming gift if it decided to say hello, reassuring them that my trusty old Remington 870 pump action shotgun would definitely get the job done. They turn around and continue the walk. Maybe if I said what I really felt, none of this would have actually happened as it did. So, we were about 50 miles inside the Colorado Mountain National Park. And it's evening time. John was drunk as a skunk. He pitched his tent poorly. What do you want from a guy getting drunk since noon? It was at least 6 o'clock when we arrived further in. John, being John, decided that they weren't going to help set up and they were just going to sleep. Which, honestly, we didn't bother him because he was sauced up and would be more useful sleeping. Me, Jay, and Alyssa unpacked and pitched our tents and established a fire to cook the cubed steak with greens and other goodies in a pot that we brought for our three-day trip. As we cook the food, I tell Jay I'm going to have a look around. I left my shotgun behind and told Jay if anything happens, point, breathe, and shoot. But be careful, she's a hot one. He'll soon realize what I meant by this. So I go on my little journey. I like to call these big walking trips, if you will. It's just something I called them since I was a kid. I'm loving it though, because it's just me and the sun was going down just over the horizon, giving me more peace of mind. But at the same time, it got me thinking from earlier. What was with that sense of silence? Was it really some sort of big cat or bear? So now, I realize it's been an hour and it's about to be dark out. I've been walking in a straight line for an hour. I turned around and began the trek back to camp, but I could not help this feeling of being watched the entire time. Like if I were to turn around, there would be nothing there, but you could just feel like something or someone was staring you down. I ignored the best I can and soon reached back to camp. Alyssa woke up John and John being John, winding down from the beers he had earlier, decided to say, what are you doing? Looking for a girlfriend out here or something? I laughed and said, yeah, she's real sturdy and goes timber when I make her go down. Jay laughs a bit, and so does Alyssa. John just crumbles and says, are we eating or what? Of course, the meal was ready, and it had been for about two hours. Jay and Alyssa have been waiting for me, so, like always, we dig in as a group. I was in heaven for the time being, sharing laughs with my friends and in just enjoying the food and getting away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. Little did any of us know, though. That would be one of the worst nights we would ever experience. We all finish up and get ready to hit the bed. It's about 9 going on 10 p.m. And we have a long day ahead of us. We will be hiking all the way back to where we started, which would roughly take a bit to get back. So, John says he must take a pee. I say, well, go ahead. If you're looking for a bathroom, it's all around you. He tells me to shut up, and I snicker a bit. John goes off, and Jay and Alyssa are now in their tent trying to unwind. I was outside, still stoking the fire and thinking, as I usually do. I eventually stop poking the fire and look around. 
That feeling of being watched comes back, but intensifies as all get out. I yell for John, but I get no response. I again call out louder for John, and still get no response. I tell him to stop playing games and come back and get some rest, man. We gotta get up early. Again, I get no response. I'm starting to get freaked out now, so I go and try to find him. I went in the direction that I saw him going, which was about 100 to 150 yards in. I'm yelling for him, searching everywhere, and can find absolutely nothing. I then stop and look around and observe my surroundings a bit better. I noticed once again it was dead silent, like to the point you can hear your ears ringing. I begin walking slightly in a different direction, because I see what looks like John's head peering out near a treeside. I begin saying, come on man, you're not scaring me. I've been in more situation. Then what I see next, has me stop immediately in my tracks. There was John. He was there with what looked like an icicle sticking out of his neck. I'd say it was three feet in length if I had to guess. But I don't even know how to describe what I saw. I know this kind of damage can only be done by something strong though, something otherworldly. What could decapitate somebody and then impale them on an icicle? Now, I've listened to the Swamp Dweller show for a long time. I've heard of stories of skimwalkers and wendigos and stuff like that. But one that I heard about recently was the Washuge, and this seemed to be a perfect match. But out here, this is far away from its original territory. I'm not even sure there have ever been sightings in this area. I say I know this because I have seen some very interesting information from a friend who has gone up against what he believes to be a Washuge in the past and lived to tell the tale. Of course, he has some markings on himself to prove this, and I'll have to ask if he can be polite enough to send some pictures in for you guys. I'd love to show you if they are willing. Anyways, as I looked at John's body, his throat gushed out with blood from such a deadly weapon had me shaking a bit, because this wasn't some cryptid you get away from. This is one you prepare to die when you meet it. I'm trying to go over every scenario in my head, as I'm examining the body, I heard Alyssa screaming and flakes begin to form around as I ran fast, trying to get to the camp. As I get back, I finally see Jay and Alyssa totally freaked the hell out, saying they saw some sort of 13-foot looking monster staring at them from 200 yards away in the tree line. Apparently, she ran back to the camp as fast as she could because she was peeing at the time. She wasn't even that far away from the campsite. It started to snow pretty hard at that time, so I got my shotgun and made sure it was ready, and I told Alyssa to stick by Jay's side, and I gave Jay a cast iron sheet for cooking and told them to use this as a shield, and no matter what, don't break the line. He asked me about John, but I looked at him and gave him this look as to not say it out loud and get Alyssa freaked the hell out though, but I think he apparently understood me and was kind of thankful about it. As we began to get ready for a fight of our life, we tried to form a barrier-like line and began to steady jog as snow began to pour down. I didn't care much for the cold. If I got what was left of my friends out of there, that was all that mattered to me. We begin our trek back to the car, but suddenly, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know if you have ever had this feeling before. It's that feeling that you get in the pit of your stomach when you react before something actually happens. Well, this was me, somehow. I pushed Jay and Alyssa over 
and got grazed by some sort of icicle. It was about three feet long. It was like something launched it at me, similar to how you would throw a spear or maybe shoot an arrow from a bow. My friends helped me up and I told them, here are the keys to the car, go now, don't look back and run as fast as you can. I'll be there in no time. As they were freaked the hell out, they listened to me. They were reluctant on leaving me behind, but I eventually got them to go. I distracted this thing as my friends made it to the car. So here's where things get absolutely crazy. Remember the shells I told you about? Well, I just now remembered Washuge are weak to fire. So, here it was. Me and this, what I can only assume is a Washuge, all alone for some reason. This thing really seemed to want me. After all, it saw me as the strongest, I guess. It wanted to pick me off first and let my friends go, knowing damn well it could kill them too before they made their decision to do so. The snow dies down, and I am met with this monstrosity of a creature. Like Alyssa said, this thing has to be 13 feet. That's right, but the way its body was, the way it stood there frozen like a statue only breathing from its open mouth, it was absolutely a sight to behold. If I didn't see the steam releasing from its mouth, I would think this thing was dead. Here we are, the big showdown. I put up my shotgun. The distance between me and the Washuge was at least 10 feet. We could probably reach out our hands and meet in the middle and touch. It was snowing really hard though, and it was almost impossible to see each other, even though we were barreling down on each other. I think back to John, and then think to myself, and all those other people that have gone missing in the past couple of years in this park. Was it this thing that had done it? I didn't care. All I knew is that I wanted it dead. It wasn't so much as revenge but justice in my words. As I put the gun up to shoot the Washuge, it was already on its attack, and it felt like time stood still for a few seconds. I reacted so fast I just closed my eyes and shot point-blank range. I peeked my eye open to see that I got it right in the face, and this thing was burning. This whole thing's body caught on fire. I stood back a bit, feeling the dragon's breath round burn the Washuge. I took another shot at it, and I got it right in the chest this time. Hearing this thing's horrific painful screech, this thing rolled over and I swear I heard it mumble something like, You'll die a horrible death. And like that, the yellow-eyed pinpricks for this thing's eyes glowed but the Washuge was clearly dead. I picked myself up, saying I'm sorry to John for being an ass to him. I should have been a better friend, because you never know when it could be your last word. Instead of finding the negative, I should have found out why he was the way he was. But to you, sir, I hope you're somewhere better. As for my friends, they made it safe. I soon arrived, it becoming day roughly about 6.36 a.m. I got back to the car, put my shotgun in the back, got in, and didn't say anything the entire ride back. Now, I know my story might sound completely unbelievable, and I completely understand that. Even my own friends don't really want to believe it. I'd rather that than an argument, though. About a year has passed now, and I finally told Alyssa what happened after about three months. I told her what actually happened to John and how I killed the creature. Her and Jay also broke up and she hasn't heard anything from him since. Honestly, I think it really affected us all differently. I don't know. Some days, I wonder if this thing will come find me or my friends. Honestly, 
I think it might be best that I cut all ties with everyone involved. And after hearing about Sam White Owl, I'm going to do my best to join these people who hunt down these beasts. So, everyone I kill will be one less to worry about. Thank you, Swamp, and hello to all the Swamp folk alike. May you be safe out there. You have no idea what's in the dark watching. After watching your videos, I was reminded about my near-death experience with what I can only assume is a skimwalker. I was about 19 years old when it happened. I decided to go on a camping trip with my friends. My friends and I seen a lot of videos about skimwalkers and collectively we like to call them pig skinny. Don't ask why. I've always believed in the pig skinny, so on this camping trip, I wanted to come prepared. I brought my night vision goggles and my handy dandy Colt 45 for protection against anything. After the first day, everything goes swell. We went to bed with zero hiccups, but at one point, I heard what sounded like footsteps outside of my tent and squeaking along with it. I figured it was probably my friends pulling a prank on me pretending to be a mouse or something like that, but it also could have been a pig skinny, shape-shifted into something, maybe a mouse. I let it go though, because it did sound silly. I wanted to toy with it at first to make sure that it wasn't actually something like that. In the morning, we all woke up and I asked if they heard anything. To no avail, nobody except for me heard the noise. All of my friends wrote it off as a mouse. Those fools. The second day was a little strange, I guess you could say. My friend Cooter, long story short but that's his nickname, suddenly disappeared while I was grilling some franks over the fire. I didn't care at first, since these dogs were top-notch, let me tell ya, excellent animals. Suddenly, I heard a blood-curdling screech off into the woods. It sounded like someone or something was being murdered or screaming for whatever reason. I took my colt and my knife and told my friends I'll be back. I ran off into the woods searching for my closest friend, Cooter, but I couldn't find anything. My eyes started to itch while I was writing this, so I had to pause but now I am resuming. I started to smell blood and copper in the air. I had only heard about this in stories, but now, as I write this, I get goosebumps all over again. I ignored the smell. It's not a good idea, I know, but I ignored the smell and kept pursuing my friend who I presumed got lost trying to go pee or something. I decided to return to camp. Maybe, just maybe Cooter would return. I got back to camp to find everything gone except for the head of a funny-looking deer. It had human teeth, so I kind of laughed it off and thought it was a prank or something. But I was rather distraught by the fact that all of my friends had suddenly disappeared. It was getting late. I got my $2,000 night vision goggles so that I could see in the dark. I saw silhouettes in the tree line, and they reminded me of my friends. I stood there for a second and slammed my fist down on the picnic table. What? Out of nowhere, I heard the faint of a whisper of something behind me saying, It's arrived. I then heard what sounded like someone stomping on a sheet of metal. In a flash, I turned around and unloaded my colt onto whatever was behind me. It was Cooter, but something was incredibly off about him. He had multiple bullet holes in him after I shot him, and he wasn't talking. Who could have done this to him? Fast forward three weeks... I'm back in my trailer on my own property. Me and my less intelligent brother Randy were just chilling at home. 
He was clipping my toenails and I heard something like bells ringing outside. I look out, and there my friend Cooter was. But how? I was pretty sure I had killed him with those bullets. They were massive 45 ACP rounds, and they are strong. But I guess not strong enough. He stared at me for a while, and I stared back. It felt like years, centuries, eons. Then, he walked back into the woods, and I've never seen them again. In reality, this story is kind of crazy. Because a couple of weeks later, I would actually see my friends again. And I would question them about that night. And all of them have no recollection of us ever camping. So, is what I experienced some sort of time lapse? Some sort of time loop or something, I don't know. Did this skimwalker put some sort of curse on all of us? And what did I meet? And what did I shoot? Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true hiking, camping horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. As always, if you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it, and that helps the swamp grow its ever-expanding waters. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Be sure to subscribe, turn on notifications so you don't miss a new episode. I upload them multiple times a week on all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. You can also submit it at reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. I would be elated to see your story and potentially share it here on the Swamp Dweller channel. I would love to know in the comments down below what story was your favorite. It's always good to see your opinions, helps me pick better stories, and I just love to see your comments. As always, if you made it to the end, be sure to drop that code word, which is going to be Massive Bigfoot. The funniest comment will be pinned at the top, as always. I love seeing the funny things you guys come up with. You guys are honestly stand-up comedians in your own right. 